You're listening to another impactful episode of the Combinate Podcast, the show where we drive for quality in everything, because quality is everything. I'm your host, Subi Sade. I've been working on medical devices, pharmaceuticals, and combination products for the last 10 years, and my goal is to understand. Each week, I sit down with leaders to understand and bring together medtech and biotech in order to examine the roadblocks in development and access we face and bring to light concepts and tools from our industry and others to help address those. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this special episode of the Combinate Podcast. I'm your host, uh, Subi Sade. We are graced and honored today by Rizwan Chaudhry. Uh, Rizwan, if you don't know, uh, I don't know how you don't. He's he's kind of a firecracker in our industry. One, he's always dressed in orange. Um, but two, he's, uh, he's uh, always on LinkedIn. He has his uh, show, Chats with Chaudhry, which is almost at 600 episodes strong. Uh, welcome, Rizwan. How are you? I'm I'm great. Great to have you on. So I guess first, can you t- tell folks what's up with the orange? Uh, the orange is because when I started my company three years ago, I had to go to a show and get some business cards built up. and I didn't have time to make a logo. So I thought, what color shall I choose? And I thought, well, orange will be good because I follow the dolphins and the hurricanes, more the hurricanes than the dolphins, it has to be said. And so I decided to go with orange, green, white and black. Very, very simple decision. And it stuck with me and it's worked fantastically because the number of people who come up to you as they recognize the orange is fantastic. So I'd always recommend if you're starting a business, think of the color and use it extensively in your branding. When I say branding, in terms of what you wear as much as what you have as a logo, because when you go to places, people remember you. Do you have do you have like stitching in your shoes and stuff like that? <laughs> uh, not in my shoes, but I have 12 pairs of orange sneakers. So uh, all different. <laughs> and I do polls for major shows to get people to vote for what they which pair of trainers I should wear. And you'll be amazed, actually, to me, how many people come up to me and go, actually, I chose the other ones or actually oh, really? ones, <laughs> or, or I, I actually like those ones. That's the one I voted for. So it does. Uh, it does make a difference. You'll be surprised. Major disappointment, huh? So, so can you can you tell folks a little bit about yourself, your background? Yeah, sure. So, I've worked in media now for nearly thirty years, starting out in the IT sector for a computer magazine, and worked in lots of industries: banking, healthcare, social care, uh, housing, construction, food and drink, um, and I ended up working in pharma for three and a half years for a publication called European Pharmaceutical Review as their sales director. And that's where I fell in love with the pharma industry. What, what, was it, what was it about the pharma industry that you liked? What I liked about the pharma industry more than anything else in most other sectors, and my apologies for anybody who works in those other sectors, is that working in media, it was more factual rather than fluff, if that makes sense. So when you talk to people from a marketing perspective, the audience wants to be educated and informed about what's going on. They want to learn about things in the marketplace to help them do their jobs better because at the end of the day, they're doing life-saving drugs. And so they want to do things well and they want to learn about new technologies and new ways of doing things so they can make these products quickly and efficiently and safely. 
uh, in other sectors like food and drink, it's a very fake in terms of people get excited about a new toothpaste or a new bit of chocolate, but actually they're not always the best things for you anyway. And it's a bit of a, you know, what can I say? It's a bit of a fake uh, success, if you want to say. People are boasting about things which aren't really that meaningful in many respects. Uh, whereas in the farmer industry, it's all very, very factual. I don't have to pretend you can be very honest with people and people will appreciate that as well, I think. Yeah. And so did, did you ever manage events during during that time I as well? I did, yeah. I worked uh, for an exhibition company. So I was a sales director on a big construction show in the UK as well. So I've worked in lots of other industries. So I've got a background in uh, websites, magazines, print, uh, digital, and events as well. So that's my background. So, which means it's good because I, when I, you know, I, my current role, which I created, you know, one day decided, you know, I want to, I'm going to start my own business. And that's going to be just wandering North America and Europe at various shows, meeting people I want to meet, go to shows I want to go to, and write about the sector. Well, I don't really write. I share content, actually. I'm more of a news aggregator, I would say, rather than a writer. And I'll share stories which I see, which I like, and hopefully other people will find interesting and useful. Uh, has been great, you know, and, and I've managed to grow my following over the last three years doing what I love, which is the ideal situation to be in. So what was the pandemic like? Because I mean, it's like you said, a lot of a lot of your work is this conference to that conference and and that type of thing. Uh, well, I think like all things, you've got to be in the right place at the right time. And because my background was digital as well as face to face, um, the pandemic pandemic actually opened the opportunity for me to do more stuff. Like actually, a lot of pharma companies and use digital even more. So whereas before the uh, pre pandemic, I was going to a lot of shows, doing interviews and so on, sharing content on LinkedIn. Um, during the pandemic, it was obviously everything was digital. So I learned to use Zoom. I used to, I started doing interviews on Zoom. My Zoom interviews, the chats with children, only started because I, wa I wasn't able to go to shows. And I thought, well, how do I actually engage with people and share content uh, during the pandemic? And I thought, well, Zoom's a good idea. Why don't we try? And I, I was, I'm not normally in front of the camera, or I am now, obviously, yeah. but I never used to be in front of the camera. I was just behind the camera doing a quick video. And now I was going to be in front of the camera doing the interviews which is quite scary particularly when you do the very first i'm sure when you did your very first podcast and you put it out there you kept checking to see if anyone actually had downloaded it or watched it and what the feedback would be and similarly for me when i did the first interview like that i was thinking how many people are going to actually like it or comment on it or view it and luckily you know the first one got a few thousand views straight away oh. and some very good comments which was nice and um that was great you know so I think what the pandemic actually opened up lots more avenues. And I think people in general and also the industry within pharma understood that there are other ways of communicating other than just face-to-face. -face. Although I would say face-to-face -face is, of course, the number one way to engage with people. And, you know, ideally that would be the way. But through the pandemic, that wasn't necessarily possible. Yeah, for, for me, I uh, a friend of mine, he uh, he has his own podcast and he's had hundreds of episodes. So I had coffee with him before I started this. And, uh, you know, he was just like, look, uh, Subi, I typically charge my friends to talk about this because, <laughs> because even, even though they're my friends, most of the time they just waste my time. And, you know, they, I'll spend an hour or two walking through everything, right. The equipment, the hosting, how to get guests, everything. Right. And they just do nothing with it. 
And I'll never forget how I felt like just leaving that coffee chat with my friend saying, I'm not going to let you down. I'm not going to post one or two episodes. And and so for me, when I posted my first episode, I was actually like, is anybody going to listen to this? And I, sure. I had re- I had recorded a handful before I posted my first one. But when the first one went live, I was just like, all right, we got to get going now because I'm not going to let this guy down. So um, there was for sure a little bit of fear there, but uh, it was more like, you know, one day at a time. Um, you talked about face to face being the you know, primary or best, you said, I think you said it's the best way. Um, I don't disagree. I don't, I don't disagree with that. Um, how did you, I guess, what do you recommend for people trying to connect with folks on zoom? Because as, as especially in the pandemic, right, a lot of people's work has become more global. I know a lot of folks whose roles have expanded to include work with other offices. And it's just like barring a, a flight to go and meet people on a different continent, continent, um, what do you recommend for making Zoom better? Making Zoom better. I, I, to be honest, I, I'm quite limited in how I use Zoom because I only obviously use it more for a two-way conversation with one individual, maybe two or three people rather than for meetings. So maybe I'm not necessarily the ideal person to ask that question. But for me, I think well, my learning from the pandemic is that the pandemic made things far more relaxed in terms of people engaging with each other because like you and I, you know, I wear orange and that's been my branding. But if pharma, you know, if you look at pharma as a sector, pre-pandemic, it was very, very conservative, the way people dress, the way people talk to each other. Uh, mm. The pandemic, through all industries, I think, showed that people are really, you know, are real people, they're human beings. And just like any human being, you can be having an interview and a cat can walk across the table or a, your child can open the door and start crying or want something. And... So people became a bit more relaxed, I think, during the pandemic. And so I think business in general and how you engage with people has become more relaxed, which I think is a good thing because people have become more human and and, and you cut away from the fakeness, if you like, or the corporate stuff initially, and you go straight to the point and you can engage. And actually, you get to know the real person on the other end over Zoom. And I think that's really helped a lot. And that's carried over, I think, into in-person events as well. Because whereas before everyone was in a suit, very very smart uh you know they maybe have a sort of a stiff conversation to start the dialogue and so on i think because people have seen each other on linkedin and i'm sure you find this when you meet people who've maybe followed your podcast or seen you on linkedin mm. uh, the number of people who come up to you who feel like long lost friends and that's through the engagement through digital media that they've seen your face they've seen they're familiar with you and so a lot of those barriers that people have had prior to the pandemic where they didn't know you have gone and and you know genuinely i meet lots of people at shows obviously over the last year or so since we've got back to in-person events and the number of people who've come up to me and say oh there is one i follow you on linkedin or oh, i've seen them and i follow them as well and i recognize them and i feel like giving them a big hug because you genuinely think that you do and not only do i feel like i do give them a big hug actually we give you a hug because it's like hey how are you i haven't seen you in ages although i've never met them before in my life maybe never had a conversation with them before in my life but you genuinely feel like you've known them forever and that's i think the great thing about what's happened during the pandemic is that a lot of those barriers have broken down particularly with people who've been active on linkedin and other social media and that's really been helpful i think in terms of becoming a bit more transparent in terms of how you engage with people and hopefully that continues uh post-pandemic as as we come out of it hopefully uh, over the next few years as well 
Yeah, I've I've certainly found that professionally. I guess I've I've always thought about like, oh, I got to know my coworkers a little better, whatever. I never thought about it. I don't know why. I never thought about it systematically, kind of reducing the formality of communication because I I do agree with you. I I have seen that change in sort of the communication culture as well. Did did you say that you started the chats with Chaudhry in during the pandemic? Yeah. So the Zoom interviews was actually May. 2020 because Pitcom was one of the last major shows I went to. I went to a show in March. That was the last show. And I said, well, actually, uh, what do I do now? I am obviously sharing news and information. That's the easy bit. But how do I sort of continue to increase my profile and grow my business? And one of the ways was to look at digital. So that's what I did. And, you know, I was very fortunate. I, I was interviewing Brooker for a press conference Brooker Daltonics, the president of Brooker Daltonics, or sorry, uh, my, president, I'm going to get his title wrong, he's going to tell me off, or uh, <laughs> marketing director, I, I, whatever his title was anyway, but he's very senior Brooker. And uh, he was kind enough to let me do an interview with him over Zoom. He was my first one. And I said, you know, I think I might want to call this something if I do it, because I think you need to brand it when you do things. And so I'm going to call it Chats with Children. What do you think? And he said, that's perfect. Go for it. So, you know, over... This season alone, I've done over 330 interviews and total over 600 now. So I've been very lucky that um, people are willing to engage with me and support me in terms of what I do. And it's actually really interesting because I get to talk to people from drug discovery all the way through to drug delivery and everything in between. So I'm not looking at one small segment or one topic. I get to talk to people about a wide range of things, particularly being a layperson you know, and, you know, it's really interesting to talk to them and actually find out more of what's been happening, why they do what they do. Mm. And so 600 episodes over the course of two years, what is your process like? My process was very simple. That's like almost, that's like almost, that's like a one a day. It's like 0.8 per, per. Yeah. But, but but having said that, I mean, obviously if you go to a show, like I do, I can do a number of interviews in one day at a show, you know, for example, Uh, I was at Akima, I mean, I cheat a bit because I all call them under the same season, but they're live with Childries and chats with Childries. The live with Childries obviously shorter. The mm. show interviews, the chats with Childries. But, you know, I was at Akim, I did 37 interviews with wow. organizations across five days. I'm at uh, CPHI next week in Frankfurt, and I've got 18 confirmed interviews, and hopefully we'll get a few more booked in as well. So, and that's great for me, obviously, but it's great for the people I work with. I, I work with. And also great, I think, for my audience because they get to hear different companies talk about the different solutions you're doing. In fact, I've actually got seven interviews I've got to post, which I did over the last two days, which are either show previews or interviews with people about why they're at particular events or or whatever, or collaboration in the market. Uh, So I've got to post those over the next few days as well. So there's a lot going on, and I'm very lucky. And so you you also do kind of like bulk recording at shows? Well, well, yeah. So I, 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 with lots of companies who are there, I will interview companies if they're interested in doing something with me and uh, do those interviews. So, yeah, that, and that's how the number is so high, because obviously when we got back into in person, I've been able to interview people at shows. And as I said, uh, a show like Akima, the, you know, there's a lot of companies there. It's a long show as well. So I can get to do a lot of interviews. The maximum I've done is 12 interviews in one day. 12 in a day. Say, yeah, then I flew off to another show that evening. So it, that was quite hard work, it has to be said. Do, do you find uh, like conference fatigue? Uh, 
I, I genuinely, I do feel tired at times, but I don't feel conference fatigue because I'm very lucky, as I said, I get to go to lots of very different conferences, talking about different topics and meeting different people. So I don't see the same people every week or even every month necessarily. And I do shows in North America and Europe, predominantly Europe these days because of flights and so on. But uh, still, uh, I get to meet lots of different people about lot. I mean, I was, to give you an example, I was at the uh, European Society of Cell and Gene Therapy recently, followed that with the World Vaccine Congress Europe, followed that with AAPS in Boston. And now I will be next week at CPHI Worldwide, hopefully Festival of Biologics, then at a Cell UK event, then a Biotech X event, and then after that, uh, Omics event, and then after that, uh, PEGS Europe, uh, and uh, uh, Orphan Drugs Congress, and after that, so there's, you can see it's endless because there are so many events now these days to go and meet people and talk to people. Yeah, I've, I've, I've also found that there are a lot more really specific conferences for like a, either a therapeutic area or for a function or. Yeah, you know, definitely. So and, I, and I think sometimes, you know, arguably the days of very, very big exhibitions uh, have gone, I think, certainly in the States, I, I, not necessarily in Europe. I think in Europe the big shows are still there but i think the huge shows historically in north america some of them not all of them uh, have struggled pre-pandemic and they continue to struggle post-pandemic as you say a lot more uh, therapeutic specific events are running now where people say actually rather than going to that big show I'll, i'm i haven't got the time and i want to save on the carbon footprint so i want to be more specific in where i go and learn so there is uh, you know that drive i think to more niche events as well so but part it's always gonna be a mixture though of events i think there'll always be a mixture though in terms of how you know big to small type of yeah, thing i think there will be i mean there'll be some very big events still uh because there's always a need for uh, that global marketplace if you like where everybody can meet everybody in one place uh but there'll also be more specific ones as well yeah, the 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 bazaar or the souk or whatever, right? Whatever yeah. you want to call it. Um, so uh, you know, you mentioned you being a layperson, right? And um, I, I mean, have you found that that helps uh simplify your content in a way that's digestible by all audiences? Do you find that you know you're you're always asking a lot of questions? How has that? I uh, think it, I think it, as you say, it's simplified the questions. Having said that, you know. Uh, if I'm interviewing someone who's very technical, I'll always ask them, can they send me some questions which are technically based, which are challenges that people face? So I can ask them those questions as well. So those people who want a bit more of a technical feedback in terms of that topic, that'll be covered as well. But I think what it also does is being a layperson, I get people to take a step back when they talk about a, a topic which helps because I think often people assume everybody knows what the hell they're talking about. And people mm. don't always assume what you're talking, you know, people don't always know what you're talking about. You just assume it because you think historic you know, day to day, that's what you do. So sometimes it's nice to say, look, can we take a step back and just tell me what does this actually do? What is the basics or the fundamentals of this? Because, and actually I think people really appreciate it when you ask them that question, because it gives them a chance to go back to first principles, if you like, and explain the rationale behind what they're doing or why people do what they do and uh, also I think a lot of people don't do that because they don't want to be sounding patronizing to the person they're talking to mm. whereas you're not patronizing me when you're doing that because I'm actually asking you and you can go back 
and you won't sound like oh look he's what an arrogant so and so they just don't they think i don't know that why are they say that you know yeah. I, whereas i'll be saying well actually i don't know so please tell me and i think that's why my following's grown particularly during the pandemic it grew because people really wanted to know more about science and here's someone who's not a scientist asking people who are very who are scientists and involved in uh drug development and vaccine development you know about that and what 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 the process is there why do you do that and so on so you know my knowledge has grown gradually over time i wouldn't want to be questioned on anything so I'd end up wrong. <laughs> but at the same time <laughs> at the same time you know uh, I, I have a general understanding now of how you from drug discovery through to drug delivery what the process is and what the difference is between a biologic for example and small molecule and stuff like that so I've, i do understand that so it's grown gradually and it actually amazes me actually the technology which is out there and how amazing what people do to actually try and do to develop drugs as well so that i mean you said something that like uh lit a light bulb in my head that i've actually really never done as part of my interviews because you know many times i'll see a person and I'll say, um, I'd love to have, I want, it, it's not so much that I, there's a, sometimes it's a certain subject area. Like I know this person is an expert in the, in a certain area. I want to talk to you about whatever. Okay. And so it's usually cut and dry like that sometimes, but in other times it's just like, I think I would like to talk to this person. Um, but what you said is sometimes you'll even ask them, well, what do you want to talk about? Well, hundred percent because at the end of the day, I'm not an expert and I don't claim to be an expert, particularly when I'm covering the whole of the value chain, if you like, for want of a better term. Yeah. You know, it's a huge subject, lots of things going on. Um, and so, you know, I'll give you an example. I've interviewed someone recently uh, who was the chief scientific officer for West Farmer. She set up her own business. She did a post on LinkedIn saying she's retiring and starting her own stuff up now. And so I messaged her because I'm connected with her and said, hey, do you fancy doing... Uh, a series on parental drugs you know you can send over some questions where we can talk about the history of uh, you know, parental drugs uh, what the challenges have been over your 30-year career and but we can also do uh, an episode looking ahead as well and fortunately for me she agreed to do it so the first episode that's Fran Garcia you know for, for, for West Farmer we did the first episode of three which has already already out on LinkedIn so if you've missed it check it out um but, you know, where she looked at the period of the 80s to 2000, you know, and what the what has happened there. So I think the key thing for anybody communicating is to know what you don't know and not be afraid to ask people uh, what they know. And, you know, I, I you know, you can't be worried about looking uh, ignorant, if you like, you know, because I think. Everybody accepts no one knows everything. And as you know, maybe to do with my age as well, because I'm quite an old man now doing this for a long, long time. <laughs> and so I've have less fear in sort of being quite blunt or asking people straightforward questions and not worrying about the reaction. And so that comes with age and having children and becoming a granddad and stuff like that. You just don't care anymore. You just sort of ask. Uh, yeah. And the worst thing that anything can happen to you, and I really do believe this, is for anybody in what you do in life, is always ask. Because the worst that can happen is someone can say no, and so what? It was no to start with. So how has that changed anything? But if they say yes, what a great benefit that could be. So I always sort of say, look, don't be afraid to ask because you never know. They might actually say yes. But if you don't ask, you'll never know. So you have to ask, actually. And I, and sometimes, I mean, particularly when you're starting out, 
in your career is very, very difficult, I think. And I remember being very nervous, you know, because I worked in sales. So I had to go up to people at exhibitions and say hello to them. And it was quite nerve wracking. But now you go, I don't really care. If they don't say yes to me, I'm not going to be upset about it. But hopefully they'll say yes, you know. And I think then, you know, you know, I've been very fortunate to interview a lot of senior management across some very big organizations as well, doing this, but also previously as well. And what I've always realized is that when you interview the most senior person, they're the most easiest person to interview in the world. And the reason is because one, they're at the very top. They're not worried about what other people think because they are the top person. Mm. And secondly, they can say what they like and no one's going to tell them off. <laughs> Whereas interview people further down the chain, they're always worried about what they're going to say because someone might actually pull them up on what they say. So as I say, you know, uh, just be more confident and be prepared to ask the question. Yeah, for me, really early on in my career, there was um, I had a conversation with with uh, someone and I'll never forget. It, it wasn't that profound of a statement, but the way they said it, you know, I, I asked a question and the person goes, Subi, always remember this. If you don't ask, you don't get. 100%. And it just and it just hit me right between the, between the eyes and just like really changed how I did things. And I started finding that. Even if I ask for 10 things and I get two yeses, that's still two more than not asking yeah, for anything, 100%, right? 100%, yeah, exactly, yeah. So yeah, I think that's the way to do it. And I, obviously, I've got a sales background, so I'm used to, I've got a thick skin anyway. Schmooze. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we're not about schmoozing. Actually, yeah. That's what, as, you yeah. know, as I said, I like farm because you don't schmooze. I've been yeah. in industries where you've had to schmooze, and I hate it. Uh, but no, I think, uh, you know, it, it, it is a lot easier just to go ahead and ask people straightforward questions. People appreciate you cut the BS and you just ask them straight, you know. And the biggest frustration for me is actually when you ask someone, they never ever respond. Because obviously when you're ghosted, whether on email or LinkedIn, that's the worst thing. Because I'd much rather people came back and said, you know what, Rizwan? I'm good. No. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks very much. But I mean, I'd like to know why, of course, because you'd like to know why. So maybe next time around. Because the other thing as a salesperson I always was taught was no doesn't mean no now. Just No just means no now, not forever. So don't be afraid to go back and ask again at a later time and understand why people are saying no so that you can actually rectify that next time around for the next conversation you have with them or going back to them again at another time. Mm. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know how cell phones work in, in the UK. I know that internationally, especially years ago, right. You would just buy a SIM card and sure. you buy the phone separately. I used to sell cell phones all through college. <laughs> I did that. I did that for four years and it was just like rep after rep of trying to get someone to sell. And I remember going through a sales training and the person was like going through this ABCD process where they were like schmooze first, you know, BC and then close. Right. Yeah, and then yeah. I just I got to a point where I'm just like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. That doesn't work. No. You know, it's always like, what what do you need? Yeah. The, the low end phone is for you, you know, that type of thing. And it always, always worked out better that way. And I think it's just being yourself, actually, in all forms of communication, sales or anything. I think the most important is be true to yourself and be and be yourself. And people appreciate your authenticity. And again, coming back to the pandemic, I think that's been the number one thing is about authenticity and people being themselves and people wanting more authenticity. I think that's why you've seen the growth of podcasts and you've seen the growth of, you know, vloggers, if you like, for want of a better term, because people don't want to see the slick pre-produced interviews where all the questions are scripted. They want to see the real person answering real questions because that's what they want. They they know otherwise everything's been pre-planned and you're 
answering these questions. You've carefully prepared them and there's no awkward questions getting chucked in. What's the point of that? You might as well just read it on the website, on the corporate page at the end of the day, isn't it? I mean, that's not really enlightening you in terms of what that company does or what that person really thinks. And that's what you really want to do. So I'm not saying there isn't a place for that, particularly for investors and uh, communications and things like that. But certainly, I think for the industry in general, what they want, they authentic, a number of times I talk to people say, yeah, it's about authenticity. And that's what we're really looking for. That's what we really want to get across is us as a business and us as, as human beings and what we do as a business and the authentic feel for what we do. Um, I guess, what, what advice do you have for people being more authentic? I mean, I think the 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 answer is probably no advice, just be, right? But um, how do you reconcile between authenticity and, and being overly blunt, for example? You know, think, somebody, the you know, the, the quote unquote, I say it how it is. Yeah, no, I think like anything, you have to uh, remember who you're talking to and have emotional intelligence to say not everyone's going to react the same way so you need to you know i don't think being blunt is the way forward but i think he's being honest is being the way forward so and there is a difference i think you know you can couch things honestly without being rude or, or you know and you just have to think obviously of the person you're talking to the generation you're talking to as well you know as i said i'm an old man so i've got to a point where i can be quite blunt but at the same time i realize that when i talk to my children that doesn't always necessarily work and when i say my kids my kids are 19 to 28 so they're not young children so they are actually a great tool for me to actually educate me in how to talk to people of a different generation because you know i might say something to them and they go well dad what the hell are you talking about uh, they, they don't react very well necessarily to some things i'll say to them but in other ways i have to catch in a different way and that's fair enough and that helps me in how I communicate to other people of different generations. And also, you do have to remember that, you know, it's not even an age difference. It's about cultural differences as well. You talk to someone who is in Europe, or you talk to someone who's German, or you talk to someone who's French, or you talk to someone who's from the States, or even different parts of the States, uh, or from India, or from China. Everybody has got their own cultural references that they fall back on in terms of how they behave. And so you need to respect that as well. Uh, if you are, truly believe in being diverse as well as a human being and, and respecting other people, you should respect them in how you communicate with them. You probably do well in the U.S. because you're a U.K. person who likes American football. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I, I like the Dolphins. I hate the Patriots. The same farmer, everybody loves the Patriots or the Eagles. Oh, actually. that's true, yeah. It's the Patriots or the Eagles actually in farmer, but the Eagles are doing very well at the moment, so everyone's happy about that. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. There's a huge hub in, in New England. Yeah, um, exactly. So I wanted to ask you, so, um, you know, there, there's a lot of kind of personal branding work that you do, right, yep. as, as part of uh, your work through through RSK. Can you talk about what folks can do to, to help their own personal branding? Sure. I think the number one thing people can do is be more proactive on LinkedIn themselves. You know, I genuinely, I mean, I, I, I talk to a lot of people all the time and, you know, whether it's talking to sales directors or other people, and I say to them, do you know what, if you really want people to know who you are as a business or as a person then you should be doing stuff on linkedin and they go yeah but what do i do i don't know I, I can't write things or i don't want to be out there and you go well it's not about writing anything it's like you use linkedin yourself you're looking at stories all the time you're scrolling through if you see something you like whether it's on linkedin or on a on a website and you think this is a really interesting story just share it there's always a button there which says share normally linkedin is one of the icons that you can click on click on it and share it. And, it. and actually, if you've got a comment to share with that, even better. And when and you'll be surprised, actually, 
how many people suddenly go, actually, I like that, or comment on it. And then what you'll find is that you do that more and more. And then you may even add some commentary to it. And what you'll then find is that people will actually, as I said, recognize who you are and start to engage with you and you'll start to have some followers. And it's not about numbers or trying to drive followers very, very quickly. It's organically just doing stuff that you want to do or share. It's about sharing content you are interested in to other people. And uh, that's one way of getting your branding out there. Uh, and particularly, you know, if you want to increase your profile is add some commentary if you can, because that's always helpful. And if there's people you want to see it, then tag them in the post. Use hashtags, tag those people. I know some people don't like the fact that they're being tagged or whatever, but LinkedIn is an open public platform at the end of the day. And so, <laughs> uh, so if people don't want to be tagged, they can just unfollow you or whatever you know what i mean tag, or just yeah. send you or, or send you a message and say please don't tag me in future and that's fair enough uh and you have to respect that but where you know if you want to increase your personal branding i think it's share content whatever it may be uh that you are interested or you want to share or talk about in the sector and put it on linkedin and then your personal branding will start to grow and as it grows then obviously some basic things on LinkedIn is have an image on your LinkedIn profile above your face. And, and also have your face showing for God's sake. The number of people who still hide their faces on LinkedIn, you know, and you think, why? You know, at the end of the day, like we said at the very beginning, you know, face-to-face -face is the way most people like to communicate more than anything else. But if they don't even know what you look like, there's always a degree of suspicion. Why are you hiding your face? You know, or, you know, on this public forum where I've got my face showing, I'm, I'm happy to share who I am. Why are you hiding who you are? You know, there's a degree of that. Well, are you really a real person or are you just a bot really that out there as well? So, you know, share your face and, and actually be prepared. I mean, it depends on who you are on your personality wise, but everything doesn't have to be serious either. You know, I'm not saying LinkedIn should be Facebook because it isn't, but at the end of the day, we are human beings and people relate to other human beings. It's interesting how many posts I do on LinkedIn where I just have a picture of me holding my vaccine card and suddenly I got 10,000 views because people went, you know what, there's Rizwan, he's actually taken his uh, COVID boost and I support that. Or, or just take a picture, I take a picture of someone standing at a show. My blogs at shows where I say people I bumped into at the show today were just as a collage of pictures of people I, I've met down the down the various aisles and took their face lovely pictures of them that gets loads of views because people love to see other people they know you know so share 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 some personal stuff because again it shows you're a human being and you're a real person not just some corporate you know bod out there who's talking talking just a party line you know i think mm. it's really important just to be yourself it can, it can be anything you like and, it, and it's amazing actually when i look on linkedin i suddenly go i didn't realize they're into that or i didn't know they liked that you know i might not be into it personally myself but it's fantastic that they are you know and that's really interesting yeah um so you know part part of that is sharing um content but another part of it is sharing your own right um what have you found through podcasting um i think with the podcast it's interesting again because i talk to a lot of people when they want to do videos i'll oh, keep it really short it's two minute video no one wants to watch a video which is longer than two minutes or whatever. I'm so and I'm so against that. Yeah, well, my my point normally is well, actually, I think that's true when you talk about a an advert or a corporate video. But when you're actually sharing content which people want to learn from or be informative, then what can you get in two minutes? So 
you know, I think you need to make it worthwhile for the listener or the viewer to actually click on it and open it. Now, they may not want to watch all of it. They may not have the time to watch all of it. And that's a fair point. But what you can do is you can put timestamps on your YouTube videos, for example, so people can jump to those bits, just like you do on a podcast as well. So there's no reason why you should do a longer piece of content and put it out there. And actually, that gives you more content to chop into smaller segments if you so wish as well. You know, and people miss that bit out where they go, well, actually, we would we only want to do four minutes. You go, well, I've done a four-minute interview with you, but what can you use after that? You can only use those four minutes. You've got nothing else that you can reuse other than those four minutes. Whereas if I do a half an hour interview, yes, it's a long interview, but you can take those segments and, in different ways and reuse that content because actually, again, content is king. It's how you use the content as much as what the content is, is just as important. And a lot of people are not very creative or don't think about, well, I've got this piece of content, how can I reuse it? The ones who can are amazing. You know, they really use their content. And, uh, you know, there's some real great examples. You're talking about self-branding. I, you know, I follow various people in pharma, you know, who I work with and I've connected with. And they are brilliant in terms of what they do as well because they follow those same things. They share what they want to share. They're getting on a plane. I'm on my way to a show. They take a picture of them getting on a plane. They're at a show. They'll share it. They're going for a hike. They'll share it. And these are senior management people, by the way. They were not talking about a sales rep. We're talking about a chief executive of some big companies or head of the pharma division for a big company but they're constantly out there because they understand that it's about relationships and how do you build relationships because the fundamental point when we talked about people coming up to me and you said well it's interesting that people recognize you because you've brought down those barriers is that what is advertising why do coca-cola run an advert all the time throughout the year everywhere you know because people recognize the brand and what are you as a human being you're your own brand so you talk about self-branding. It's about what you do. Do it regularly. Be consistent, but be yourself, I think. And then, then you know, you'll get the followers uh, who, are, who are interested in you and relate to what you're interested in as well. And that's the great thing, I think, about social media is, um, is level the playing field in terms of, you know, you talked about podcasts and, you know, starting your own podcast. Because I think anybody who's got any interest in anything, they can launch their own podcast. But there's going to be somebody out there in the world who wants, wants to talk about it or is interested in it too and that's why youtube has gone mad you know with everybody with their youtube channels and so on and podcasts because there are people who are genuinely interested in what you are interested in too uh, but the key is how do you connect with them and how do you find them and often that's by using hashtags using the right uh language if you like in your podcast or in your commentary if you like so people can find you you uh you remind me of, you reminded me of a couple books with your answer just now there's one called tribes <clears throat> by uh seth godin really popular yeah, yeah. book where he talks about you know that it connects you with the with the people who are are your tribe basically the ones who are interested in the same things and the other part of it is show your work the, there's another book called show your work i forget the the author's name but he talks about taking people behind the curtain of the process, right? It's not every single day, some talking point, right? It's I'm on a plane, it's I'm taking a hike, it's so on and so forth. Um, what is a book that uh, changed your life? Uh, do you know what? I don't, I can only say I don't uh, have a book apart from the Quran, I suppose, which I should say. But apart <laughs> from that, I don't have a book which I say has changed my life per se. I mean, I do read a lot of books, but I, I, my memory is rubbish, actually. So I don't really uh. <laughs> that in terms of trying to remember what quotes are and so on. Um, I, I think what, 
the number one thing for everybody is to be themselves at the end of the day and, and have the confidence to be yourself. That's the number one thing. And most people, it takes many years. It takes getting older to be more confident to be yourself, sadly. But that is the true, I think, magic thing is just to be yourself and not be afraid of rejection and, and, and just be persevering all the time. And you can be very, very successful. And you'll be amazed, actually, how many people get inspired by you being yourself and giving them the confidence to be themselves too as well. So, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say a book in all honesty, but I, other than the Quran. Well, uh, you reminded me there's a there's a quote of uh, I think it's Miles Davis who says that he he uh, he said something to the effect of like, sometimes you have to play for years to try to understand how you play the way that you play. Right. And so, you know, it's kind of like that sometimes being authentic feels inauthentic till it is, you know, Um, what is uh, something you're excited about? Um. To be honest, I'm a grandfather now, so I'm excited about my grandson. So that's the number one thing uh, I'm excited about. But I'm also very excited about um, how the industry really is changing and becoming more multifaceted in terms of the way it communicates. So, which is exciting for me because I've got a background across many different sectors. And it's exciting to be able to use those different elements and different communication tools, if you like. uh, you know whether it's LinkedIn or whether it's going to a show or whatever it may be, and being able to use that, and it's interesting to see how the how the world has changed in terms of how people communicate with each other, and that's been really interesting, challenging. I think there's gonna be lots more opportunities and a lot more things happening. You know, who knows if LinkedIn will be the number one business platform in five years' time or even in twelve months' time? Who knows? Because something else will come along, and people have to do it. So there's things are always evolving, and you need just to keep up to the times with it. And I think the exciting thing is that. You don't have to be an expert necessarily to uh, do well or communicate. You, you need to understand how to communicate, but you don't have to be an expert in a particular topic. You just need to understand though how to bring people together so they can learn more about that topic. And that's exciting for me, who's not a scientist, of course. I'll try to make sure that I do that. Yeah, well, I, I think there's, there's um, I heard this person once talk about like this idea that you know, it's one thing to tell a bunch of people that they need to start eating oatmeal and why it's so important to eat oatmeal. It's another thing to say, I like oatmeal and here's the oatmeal that I ate this morning. You know, it's 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 just a different type of situation. And so, you know, I, I do agree. You don't have, have to be an expert. And so if you're if you're a non-expert, just don't be consulting, right? If, yeah, if you're a non-expert, just say, here's something I appreciated that helped me out or here's how I've done this or whatever, right? 100%. And it's also about... Uh, hopefully hooking people up hooking them up to people who are experts you know Mm. so and i'm lucky you know my 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 tagline if you like for my for my business if you want for a better word is to inform and connect because that's all i do i try and inform people what's going on in the marketplace in the sector i inform them about some of the new stories out there which they might find useful and i try and connect people together across that value chain and genuinely that's what i do and i and i love it when i go to shows and someone says to me oh you know rizwan I'm doing this. Well, actually, you know, what? I was talking to so-and-so at another show and he was telling me he was doing something around that. So why don't I connect you two together? And I'm not getting anything out of it, but actually it's satisfying to know that people I know along this whole network I've got, I can bring them together and they can actually start to engage. And maybe something good will come out of it. And that's actually really exciting for me. 
Mm. Um, so to, to close, right. We, I mean, we were, we were talking a little bit about this. Uh, I wanted to ask you, how do people reach you? But you mentioned as we were, um, you know, before we were recording that you don't have a website. Can you just talk a little bit about getting started? Yeah. So what I did when I started was literally, as I said to you, there was a couple of shows coming up in Boston and I decided to do this as a living. And I said, well, how do I, what do I do? I've got a show in two weeks time. I literally, uh, got some business cards printed out in orange <laughs> with my name on it. I went out to the uh, shows and did that. And I didn't have a website. And I think what it's shown is, and I still don't have an official website. I have my LinkedIn profile and have my YouTube channel. That's it. I have nothing else. But at the end of the day, I don't think I need anything else because those are what I do. You know, my YouTube channel has all my interviews on it. And people can see what I do on a daily basis. And the LinkedIn profile has all my posts on it. So those are, in effect, my shop front, if you like, in terms of who I am as a person and what I do. And now, obviously, that may be different for other people who start out because they may have a service that they will need to highlight and they can't use LinkedIn as easily to show that. So then you should get a website made up. And I'm not suggesting you shouldn't have a website. But I think the key thing is just go and do it. It sounds like a Nike slogan, obviously, and I'm not here to promote Nike, but you know, it is about just do it. You know, obviously do a bit of planning before you do it and think ahead about what the process is. You need to look at those sort of things as well as then just be confident enough to go and do it. And use your network. You know, don't be afraid to ask people you know. Make them aware of what you do. You know, put it out on LinkedIn. You know, if you're doing a logo, I know lots of people who, when they create their logos, do the poll on LinkedIn, say, I'm doing these logos, tell me which one you like. I mean, that day you vote, you do the one you want at the end anyway, but at least you get some sort of feel what other people think about your logo as well get use linkedin to get feedback as to what you're doing and don't be afraid to do that and you sometimes you'll get a lot of responses sometimes you won't but it doesn't matter the fact is at least try and that's the beauty of linkedin why i love linkedin so much is i can do a post and it can be terrible no one responds to it and i can do the same post but reword it slightly a day later and i get loads of views and it is literally a, a live lab to test out how you communicate with people and that's fantastic you know from that point of view and it's and it's not a science you know you could argue it's a science but it's an art as well because you just need to understand you know how people respond to different things yeah i think for for me personally that's a that's an area that i want to work on is interacting with the audience and see see what they want you know it's and it's no different than what you said about the interviewees like here's what i want to talk to you about what do you want to talk about and similarly here's what I have planned in terms of talking to folks. Who do you want me to talk to? And, and so I think there, there's definitely value there. And I love the, uh, the metaphor of a lab. Um, how can people reach you, Rizwan? LinkedIn is very easy. Just send me a message or connect with me and uh, I'll be happy to talk to you. Well, very good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Well, uh, Jazakallah, so be for the opportunity as well. It's lovely to see you, my friend. You too, brother.